Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. In the program this week, is Sir Bob Charles inadvertently guilty of being a drugs cheat? Well, it's very likely. Uh, I was totally unaware of, you know, illegal substances. We check out the All Black Sevens as the IRB Roadshow rolls into Wellington. And the England cricket team arrive in Auckland and sing the praises of the Black Caps. There been suggestions back in England you were kind of wasting your time here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, we know the dangers New Zealand pose. Also, cycling star Ali Shanks has to relinquish her world individual pursuit crown as the Nationals hit the track in Invercargill. And Australia's attitudes to netball are blasted as being more than a decade behind New Zealand's. Certainly, I have had some very challenging conversations with some of the broadcasters. They're probably about 12 years behind. First up, to an unlikely doping scandal. The New Zealand golf icon Sir Bob Charles admits he probably breached the Professional Golf Association's drug protocols during his playing career. The Fijian golfer Vijay Singh has admitted using a deer antler velvet spray, which contains a muscle growth hormone called IGF-1. It's on the US PGA's banned drug list. The PGA is now investigating the matter. Sir Bob, who's been taking deer velvet for general health for the past 20 years, retired from the professional circuit in 2010. And he told sports reporter Stephen Hewson it means he too was probably guilty of using a banned substance. Well, it's very likely. Uh, I was totally unaware of, uh, you know, illegal substances or whatever you want to call them, being in the horn or the, the antler of the deer. I take uh, one to two uh, deer velvet capsules daily, and I've been doing so for virtually uh, well, 20 years or more. It's a natural product. It's uh, something which I produce on my farm here at, uh, at Oxford. This product has been around 2,000 years, and, and now all of a sudden they've discovered something in there which uh, one shouldn't be taking. So uh, I'm, uh, I would like to get to the bottom of it. That All I know is, is the good stuff that's in there, and I did, was totally unaware of any bad stuff in there. How does it make you feel that that breach may have occurred while you were obviously a touring professional? This is pretty heady stuff, and, uh, you know, I've been following Lance Armstrong last week, and, and this is, uh, you know, I feel sorry for him and what's happened to him. Obviously, uh, well, he was aware of, of what he was doing. I was totally unaware of what I was doing. Do you recall being drug-tested at any time during no, your... No, never have. No, never have. Do you recall the whole drug situation and players talking about it or it being talked about? No. Well, the uh, tour, the PGA Tour in the United States, put out a booklet with all these banned substances. I never gave it a thought. You know, you look at the the bottle, it says it's a natural dietary supplement. There's uh, supposedly no, no drugs of any consequence in there. So you don't feel as though you might have to relinquish some of your titles? My... <laughs> <laughs> Relinquish? No. I, well, I, I would. I would hope not. One would. Uh, you know, I'm not that far down the road yet. Does it make you feel odd that there may have been some growth hormone though that has boosted you, or given you an advantage? 
Well, I don't, I don't know. You, you know, when you when you have no totally no idea of of what the product uh, consists of, you don't think about those things. Sir Bob Charles talking to Stephen Hewson. Well, ahead of Super Bowl 47 in New Orleans, one of the stars of American football has also been linked with the banned deer antler velvet extract, although the Baltimore Ravens linebacker Ray Lewis denies it. Sports Illustrated magazine says Lewis tried to obtain the product to help him recover from a triceps injury. Radio New Zealand spoke with Deer Industry New Zealand CEO Mark O'Connor about the substance. O'Connor says some of the facts being discussed in the media are just plain wrong. The first point to make is that deer velvet is not a banned substance by either the World Anti-Doping Agency or by the USPGA. Deer velvet is not at issue. At issue is a material, a growth factor called IGF-1, which is insulin-like growth factor R1. That's a growth factor. And to be very clear, that growth factor IGF-1 is present in very low concentrations, but it is present in deer velvet, but it's also present in really most animal tissues uh, and it's also present in other products such as milk. It's not an adulterant, it's not a residue, it's not a contaminant or anything like that, it just occurs naturally in animal products. At issue here is that point one, deer velvet is not a banned substance. Secondly, when people take deer velvet in a capsule form, which is generally how it's taken, uh, it will go through the stomach and when it goes through the stomach, that's a, that's a very difficult environment. So it's very unlikely that IGF-1 would go through the stomach uh, unmodified. It's likely to be broken down. So that's why a, a person taking deer velvet capsules or indeed having a glass of milk is very unlikely to test positive for IGF-1 because it is highly likely that it will have been broken down through the stomach. Now where we do have some issue is uh, this company in the United States which is at the centre of this controversy, they're doing things differently. So they're taking a natural product which is deer velvet and they're concentrating or refining or creating fractions of deer velvet to maximise levels of IGF-1 in their product. And then what they do, they take this extract and they don't have people drink it so that it does go through the stomach and is likely to be broken down. It's administered sublingually, uh, which means it's administered under the tongue. That means that there are blood vessels very close uh, to the surface there, so when this spray is sprayed uh, under the tongue, it goes directly into the bloodstream. So that means that IGF-1, uh, assuming this, this, uh, this company's product is actually efficacious and actually has what they say uh, is in there, that would mean that IGF-1 goes directly um, into the bloodstream. So that's where a positive result would occur so where um, people like Sir Bob Charles are now re- rightly really concerned about whether they've been actually doing something which breaks the rules of their sport and implies that they're acting unethically, I, I do not believe that that's the case at all. That's the Deer Industry New Zealand boss, Mark O'Connor. Hope that clears that up. On a brighter note, there'll be at least one New Zealand golfer at this year's British Open on the 50th anniversary of Sir Bob Charles' triumph back in 1963 at Royal Lytham in St Anne's. Wellington's Mark Brown shot a scintillating course record round of 62 at Kingston Heath in Melbourne. That's earned him a place in this year's British Open field at Muirfield. This is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. The All Blacks 7 side is aiming to win a hat-trick of Wellington titles at the weekend's fourth round of the World Series in the capital. New Zealand are the back-to-back champions in Wellington and the defending overall IRB champions as well.
They currently lead the series from France with six rounds to go, and as usual, their coach Gordon Titchens has fashioned a side around a core of veterans with some exciting raw talent. The old heads are Captain DJ Forbes, forward Lotte Rakambola, playmaker Tomasi Tharma, and utility Tim Mickelson. Tharma says it's a formula that works. I guess we bring different things. I do my part, uh, the other boys do their bit as well, and we try and share the workload of what we do to the, the boys that are coming in, and we try and, and tell them and teach them every little things that we need to, to do and to help each other uh, to make the game easier for us as well. Uh, things are getting tough. We have to put our hands up. Titchens named two new caps this time, with Hawks Bay winger Gillies Kaka joining Auckland's Rocky Khan in the 12-strong squad. Khan was born in Fiji, but turned down approaches from there to sign a sevens contract with New Zealand. And the 23-year-old rookie, who's being tipped as a possible successor to Tharma, says he's been learning heaps from the veteran playmaker. Yeah, preparation's been going really good. This is my first experience, so I don't know what it was like in the past, but um, the senior guys have been really helping all the younger guys out, especially Tomasi. I've been learning a lot from him. Um, personally, I've just been trying to learn as much as I can in the, the short amount of time we've had together. And Khan can confirm Coach Titchen's legendarily arduous training sessions are indeed hard, hard work. Yes, we are. I'm a new boy, new kid on the block, so I've just been trying to keep up with everyone else and try not to share <laughs> too much pain or anything. Khan is believed to be the first player of Indian heritage to represent New Zealand at senior level in rugby. Khan's also part Rotuman, and he's proud to represent both sides of his family for this country. My dad's um, Fiji Indian. And my mum's Rotuman, so uh, Rotuman's a small island off Fiji, so but they come under Fiji. Was, I think the Rotuman community is probably, like really happy and really proud of me. I've been looking on Facebook and seeing all the comments and stuff, and like everyone's just really happy that I've, that finally someone, some uh, Rotuman's made it, or even like a part Indians made it into the, the New Zealand Sevens team. Tomasi Tharma is the leading try scorer in the World Series, and he's a lethal part of the Titchens machine, seemingly able to conjure up space at will. I guess I just love the challenge. I'm out there to um, test myself against the best in the world as well. And mentally, physically, um, I think I'm well prepared for whatever comes my way. And I love to put myself under pressure and see if I can cope. But in saying that, you know, um, we do things as a team. After that, then I can come in and do my bit as well. Tharma had a head start in sevens. His father, Tomasi Tharma Sr., played 14 tests for Fiji in the 15-man game, but was better known as a sevens representative. Tharma Sr. played for Fiji for a decade, including the great side that went unbeaten from 1990 to 1992 at the Hong Kong sevens. You know, I was really fortunate that he was playing for Fiji when I was starting to grow up and learn a lot of things. But um, he, he do train, train hard, and then teach always you know, talked about uh, how he prepared. Uh, will help us in the tournament and um, and I learn a lot of, a lot of things from from him and watching some other great players as well I look up to you know the like of Christian Cullen and Eric Ross they do a lot of work hard work uh, behind the scene and I guess the boys that are, are in there now you know they do the hard work that's why they're in there and um, as I said I've been playing for a few years now and I know how hard we have to work to keep that um, consistency and to win tournaments as well Negotiations are ongoing to establish Sevens as a full-time professional sport here. The Rugby Players Association is in talks with the NZ Rugby Union over a new collective agreement, including a deal for full-time Sevens contracts, with an eye on the next Olympics in Rio, when Sevens makes its debut for both men and women. The long-serving men's captain DJ Forbes says the move can't come soon enough. A lot of the boys are hoping for some clarity so we can see 
what's next moving forward. Obviously, there's an opportunity when they do come to maybe play purely sevens. I think the way it's going with the Olympics and other teams going full-time already, we definitely need to make sure that we've got our things in place to do what's best in order to get a gold medal. DJ Forbes, captain of the All Blacks Sevens. The New Zealand women's seven side also continue their build-up to the Rio Games with the second tournament of their four-round World Series in Houston. The national team won the first edition in Dubai last month with an impressive 41-0 hammering of South Africa in the final. Cycling and netball still to come on extra time. During the week, the English cricketers arrived for their two-month tour, starting with three 2020 matches. I went along to the press conference, loaded with three questions from our cricket reporter Stephen Hewson, and I even managed to get the England 2020 skipper Stuart Broad to answer all of them, though Broad did play a straight bat to any suggestions that the Black Caps will be easy beats. Kia ora, Stuart, how are you going? Welcome to New Zealand. Thank you. Hey, uh, what do you make of the state of New Zealand cricket given their test performances against South Africa? I mean, the test performances are not something that... As a team, need to look at at all. We've got a start in, in 2020 cricket and uh, one-day cricket. We know New Zealand have just beaten South Africa in the one-day format, and having played quite a lot of 2020 cricket against, we know they're, they're very dangerous. So, for us as a team arriving on these shores, we've got two weeks solid of 2020 cricket, and, and we know it's going to be a tough battle. Uh, we'll, we'll prepare ourselves for that, get used to the conditions as much as we can. Um, and we know New Zealand have got some fantastic 2020 players and, and that's all we'll focus on. How hard is it to get a handle on the uh, Black Caps side given their rollercoaster performances in South Africa? I've purely just focused on, on their one day in 2020 form because I know that that's what we're facing to start this tour and it is a long tour for us um, but we have to break it down into small parts um, for us to be successful. I think if we, fo- if we focus on on New Zealand cricket and what's going to happen ahead, um, we'll lose sight of what we need to do. So it's, we're, we're breaking it down into small, small parts and, and that will start with our warm-up games and, and obviously that first big game at Eden Park. You're on a bit of a hiding to nothing here because you really probably expect to win most of these games and New Zealand probably aren't expect to win very many. There have been suggestions back in England you're kind of wasting your time here. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, as, a, as I've mentioned, we know the dangers New Zealand... Pose. I mean, any team that have got Brendan McCullum in a 2020 in a one-day team, Ross Taylor, these boys, they, they can smash it miles. So we know they're a strong team. We had a really good battle with them in the 2020 World Cup, which wasn't too long ago. And, it, and they were actually very unfortunate not to go further in that tournament. They lost on super overs and all sorts. And that just shows how tight 2020 cricket is. So we'll have to be at the top of our game. We, we know that. 2020 cricket, you need one guy, two guys to, to come off in, in your 20 overs. And you can really take the game away from teams so we know it's we know it's going to be dangerous and we know we have to to really get this first week right um so come the first international game um we hit the ground running okay thank you very much Stuart broads englishmen begin their tour with a couple of 2020 warm-ups in whangarei against a new zealand 11 including ross taylor the first t20 match against the black caps is at eden park on saturday And the New Zealand women's cricketers begin their one-day World Cup in India off the back of a win and a loss in their two warm-up matches. The White Ferns were thumped by the hosts by eight wickets before they beat the defending champions England by 13 runs. South Africa are their first opponents. This is extra time. Well, there's been plenty of jockeying for spots in Biking Z's teams at the National Track Cycling Championships in Invercargill. But one champion isn't competing, and Alison Shanks doesn't know whether she'll need surgery to overcome a hip injury. That problem's denied Shanks the chance to defend her individual pursuit world title.
The Dunedin Riders withdrawn from the World Championships later this month in Belarus, saying she needs to overcome the injury. Shanks told Stephen Hewson that the injury has been bothering her for the past year. I've sort of been managing it for the last year or so, and when it's Olympic year, you know, you can push through a fair amount of pain to get yourself to the start line and compete, and now is a good time really to, to actually step back and get it assessed properly and get it fixed and get back to 100% training. Did it hamper you much in London? No, we. I mean, it's the kind of injury that I can still ride my bike, but just not 100%. And but during the Olympics and everything, it was able to be managed with, um, you know, the I guess daily treatment from the physios as well as medication and stuff. So I was um, definitely on top of my game at London. But long term, you know, it's not the kind of thing you want to put your body through if there's an injury there. You want to get on top of it and get it fixed. So do you know what the the problem is? We're sort of just working through an actual diagnosis at the moment. I mean, I get a lot of pain in my left hip when on the bike. Yeah, we're just working with the medical staff at the moment to determine exactly where the pain is coming from and then what the treatment procedure will be, which which may include surgery. Um, and if that's the case, you know, it's sort of indicated it'd be about six weeks off the bike. Is there any concern it might be arthritis or, or anything like that? No, I've had an MRI done and we're just waiting to hear the final results back on that. But it looks like it's more of a an injury type thing that's caused from being, you know, in the cycling positions. And then obviously the treatment accordingly. Obviously disappointing not to get to defend your, your world title though. Oh, hugely. The world champs are the pinnacle event in cycling really well, you know, for the individual pursuit anyway now. And uh, to have that rainbow jersey and I'm going to have to watch it slip away without getting that opportunity to defend it, that is um, pretty heartbreaking. But at the same time, you know, I wouldn't want to go to the world champs not at 100% fitness and I think to win a world title, it's it's hard, you know, and you have to be on top of your game. And right now, I'm not quite there. So, when will there be a decision on whether you need surgery or, or not? Um, we're expecting to have that in the next couple of weeks, and then obviously a time frame of surgery and that will be sorted out. But I mean, I hope to be back on the bike if surgery was the case by sort of mid year, and then back to full fitness, ready to start the track World Cup season again in October. The reigning 3,000-metre individual pursuit world champion, Alison Shanks. She may not be racing in Invercargill, but there's plenty of competition at the Nationals anyway. Bike NZ high-performance manager Mark Elliott told me he's got some major selection headaches, but that's a good thing. It's always good to have headaches with too many numbers, and we're very fortunate at the moment that uh, you know, post the solid Olympics in London, we've got a, um, a lot of athletes who would uh, you know, like to see themselves on a pathway to Rio in four years' time and want to force their way into a high-performance programme and going to make nationals this year um, very, very exciting. Would you say it's um, the men's or the women's or both that there's really fierce competition in? It's definitely the men um, in the, both the endurance and the sprint fields. We've made a decision this year to um, have a, a very limited uh, world championship approach. It's a very expensive exercise to get to the other side of the world with a, with a major team, so we're taking a um, smaller team this year and obviously a sprint focus there and uh, you know, we've obviously uh, got five world-class sprinters at the moment and, and only likely get the, the minimum to take three, so fierce competition with our sprinters. And uh, then on top of that, with our endurance uh, program, we're uh, you know, looking to take you know, an additional four or five riders into Europe and for them to have an extensive you know, track and road program in Europe for six months. So you know, when you're, you're fighting for an opportunity to um, you know, head into Europe and, and race uh, for months on end and cycling, uh, 
in that European stage, there's obviously a lot at stake. Just looking at the uh, sprints first, who do you think's going to put their hand up? It's pretty tough to call, really. It is tough. I mean, we've got uh, you know, Simon van Veldhoven as the you know, Olympic bronze medalist uh, in the Kieran. Um, obviously, he's uh, you know, he knows he's had some uh, a great form in a long season, but he's really wanting to push through the Worlds. You know, our men's sprint team's just won the World Cup in Mexico, posted uh, you know one of the fastest top ten times in, in history for the sport. So they're um, you know, and they're just a young crew with you know the likes of Ethan Mitchell, um, Sam Webster, Matt Archibald, and Eddie Dawkins. So. All those guys are fighting for spots. We really want to look at um, you know, where it puts us in a position to step towards gold, silver medal rides at World Championship events and, and Commonwealth Games and the Olympics over the next four years. And, and that's the target for the program. And each of those guys has um, you know, got the bit between their teeth wanting those spots and certainly wanting to submit a spot to the team sprint. It's great to have all this competition. There's even more riders in the running for the road team by the look of it. Yeah, I mean, when, when you talk about road, for us, it's about an endurance program that's got a track focus that does the road. Some of our senior riders, like Jesse Sargent and, and Sam Bewley, are, are following their road careers over the course of the next you know, couple of years. So, you know, that, that creates some opportunities for young guys coming through. But, you know, we've also got um, you know, great strength for the likes of um, you know, Aaron Gates as, as a bronze medalist in London, who's you know, really keen to um, you know continue to step up, and and then at the same time we've had our um, you know junior teams win an extensive amount of medals last year at the junior world champs, and and they are now coming into the senior program, and and they all know that there's spots available there, and, and they've been training um, very very hard over summer to to secure a, an opportunity in Europe. So yeah, it's great great competition, and um, it really does uh, set us up for an exciting uh, couple of years. Bike NZ's high performance manager Mark Elliott, and this is extra time. To netball now, and it seems attitudes to the sport in Australia are more than a decade behind those here. That's the view of the Chief Executive of Netball New Zealand, Raylene Castle. Less than two months before the Trans-Tasman competition begins, competition organisers have yet to secure a television broadcast deal in Australia. The 10 networks ended its four-year broadcast deal, but Netball NZ boss Castle told Stephen Hewson that doesn't put the competition in jeopardy. We certainly hoped it wouldn't be such a struggle. Unfortunately, we've been at the mercy of some of the other big TV deals that have been happening. It was first it was the AFL getting finalised and then the NRL getting finalised and they've certainly slowed up the process for us, but we're well underway in discussions and and close to finalising things now. So you expect there will be an Australian TV deal come the start of the competition? There absolutely will be, there's no doubt about that. What have you taken from the whole handling of this situation? It has been challenging. I think it's more challenging for us on this side of the Tasman because we have such a strong and positive relationship with our broadcasters and always have had and netball is very well respected and is seen as one of the sort of big four team sports. That's not quite the case in the Australian market. Certainly the football codes of AFL and NRL in particular really do dominate the airwaves over there. So uh, it has been more challenging to find a space where we get some free air and to promote netball without fighting with the football code. And that's really what we've been working through. I mean, netball here would be quite unique worldwide, though, wouldn't it? In the sense that I can't think of too many women's team sports that, that get television coverage full stop. That's right, and, and there's no doubt the Silver Ferns hold a very special place in the New Zealand sporting landscape, and we are very proud of that. And our aim when we launched the ANZ Championship was to try and grow the support of netball and mainstream sport to the same level, and that continues to be a strategic aim of the ANZ Championship. So is it chauvinistic? Um, certainly, I have had some very challenging conversations with some of the broadcasters, and other broadcasters, they've been fantastic, and we have a great... 
uh, relationship and they certainly see the potential that netball's got um, and they see the you know, the female dollar spend that attaches to the netball audience is very valuable. So, you know, the partners that we're talking to now um, see netball as a very positive influence and something that they'd really like to represent on their networks. When you say you've had some challenging conversations, what, what do you mean? What responses have you got? With some, with some of the broadcasters, they, they don't see netball as a valuable sport and not something that, that will get high ratings. You know, obviously we don't agree with that. So, you know, we've worked with partners that see the value in netball as is the commercial discussions that you have around these things. So have they been demeaning in, in many respects? I think it, the whole of the way business is done in Australia is... is much uh, has a more chauvinistic bent than it does here in New Zealand. In New Zealand, female business people can do um, anything and, and they're very well respected, obviously, with female prominences and governor-generals and things. So that is not quite the same in Australia, even though they have a female prime minister. And, you know, sometimes those challenges, uh, being female in that business environment, are uh, difficult. But we knew that when we went into those discussions. We've now found some people that see netball as having value and the administrators that run it as adding value and we continue to work with those people. Was it a surprise to you? I mean, you, you mentioned there that you expected it, but to then actually come up against it, did it still take you aback? It certainly did four years ago when we did the deals um, for the last set of broadcast rights and I was very surprised, but uh, be fair to say that this time we were forewarned and therefore forearmed with the way we approach things. Nothing would appear to have changed then? I think what has changed is the television environment in, in Australia is very challenging. Um, they have had every single TV station's head of sport has changed. Channel 10 had a full-time sports channel, which they don't have any longer. There is some change um, at board level and CEO level in every organisation. So that has meant that those new people want to make a mark and they want to find a combination of sports that um, give their um, channel the best airtime. They fought really hard for AFL and NRL rights, and there's some that got them and some that missed out. So, you know, we are working with those channels and broadcast environments to make sure that we can find the people that best fit, fit with the netball and the netball culture. But nothing would appear to have changed from the approach to women's sport. And in fact, from, from what you're saying, it sounds like things are going backwards. No, I, I don't think that's quite right. I think certainly in the pay environment with the, the discussions we're having with Fox, they very much understand the value of the female dollar and uh, how valuable they can be in a pay situation about you know, making sure that they have a lot of male sport but they also have some female sport to keep the decoder in the home. So we continue to have very positive uh, conversations with them. We continue to have great conversations with Telstra. Um, Rick Ellis, who is formerly TVNZ, is now running Telstra Digital and he's a massive advocate for netball and um, he's been very positive and very supportive. So it has definitely moved forward uh, and over the last five years. Um, but the whole environment is challenging for everyone in the broadcast market at the moment. How much of a time lag do you think there is between the way women's sport and particularly netball is viewed here as it is in Australia? We were fortunate to first get live coverage on Silver Ferns on TVNZ about 17 years ago and consistently they took our test matches and that put us a very long way ahead of the Australians because we got live, consistent uh, coverage of our sport and those athletes became household names. Uh, it's not till the ANZ Championship where really um, Netball in Australia has had consistent television exposure at, at normal times of the day. 
So they're probably about 12 years behind in attracting what I would call the general sport fan to be a fan of netball. You still have, you always have netball fans, but it's that general populace that follows sport that you need to capture. That's what's happened in New Zealand. The ANZ Championship has only added to that in the New Zealand environment, and we know that will grow over time in Australia. How much of a danger does not having this TV deal then put the competition at? The not having a broadcast isn't an option, so that's, that's not... That is, we're definitely going to have broadcast coverage. It's around the commercials and how competitive the commercials can be for the ANZ Championship, and those are the discussions we're having at the moment. The Chief Executive of Netball New Zealand, Raylene Castle, talking to Stephen Hewson. He's been busy this week, hasn't he? That's the show. Feedback's welcome. Sport at radionz.co.nz, that's the email, and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. We'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Richard Wayne. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.